how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Welcome to Sober Sex. Today we are thrilled to welcome Dave, host of the magnificent Dopey podcast, to talk to us about Sober Sex. If you're unfamiliar with Dopey, we highly recommend that you check it out as the story behind it and the humor and recovery it carries are truly a gift to sober and sober curious people everywhere or people who just generally love stories of chaos and mayhem that often are the result of drug and alcohol abuse. Welcome, Dave. Thank How you. Are you. I appreciate uh, being on your show, and I appreciate the very, very nice, posh-sounding introduction. I appreciate Oh, it. like there we go. <laughs> I do a different yeah. voice for every intro, so this is the it's accent I'm doing today. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> it stays above board until about five minutes in, and then we descend into similar chaos and mayhem. So, But Dave, thanks again for joining us today. Um, it is a pleasure to talk to you on Sober Sex. Uh, first things first, we'd like to ask our guests their pronouns. My um, pronouns are uh, he and him. Are those much appreciated. Pronouns? Yes, okay. perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, well Check. We both identify as she, her. So just in case <laughs> you need to refer to us in third person. Um, where are you and how are you feeling today? I am in uh, Long Island, New York, and I'm feeling good. Thank you. How about you? You go, you're in Paris and you're, Rose, where are you? I'm in Paris too. Oh, nice. Very good. We're presently locked down, so we can't record together. Yeah, it's very sad. This is all very dissonant and weird times we are living in. Um, what about New York? What's then long, sorry, I'm just going to be like New York, generally speaking. What about Long Island? What's, what's the state of there? <laughs> Where I, where I live, things are good. Um, my daughter's school is currently open, which is nice. Um, people are mostly wearing masks. The the COVID rate is up to like 3%, which is not great, but it's uh, better than it was last March. But, you know, it's it's we're creeping back into weird times. Yeah, basically. indeed, indeed. Oh, terrifying. So, um would you mind giving our listeners a little background on yourself and the history of Dopey and uh, what your podcast is about today? Sure. Um, uh, what is my podcast about? Uh, I do a podcast called Dopey. I started it with a friend of mine years ago, uh, almost five years ago now. And it was a guy named Chris who I met in rehab. We were both uh, recovering IV addicts and... Um, was funny like one summer I was working on this sort of web series I, I work at a famous deli in New York and I was doing a web series about a waiter who wants to be a talk show host doesn't <laughs> want to wait on tables anymore so he starts uh making a talk show while he waits on tables and Chris thought it was the funniest thing ever and he's like I want to do something like that and I was like all right well maybe maybe we should do a podcast because I had another friend 
who said a podcast about drug stories would be amazing. And I was like, I was like, what's a podcast, you know? And, uh, <laughs> now they're everywhere. And, and Chris was like, uh, what's a podcast? And I was like, I don't know, but I guess it's like a radio show and we just talk and people listen to it. And, and Chris was not particularly creative, but he had the most ballistic, crazy drug stories I had ever heard. And, uh, and we had a similar sense of humor. I had like four months clean and he came down one day. He lived in uh, Massachusetts. And I lived in Manhattan at the time and he came down and he was like, what do we do? And I was like, just hit record and, and we'll figure it out. And we just started <laughs> telling like the, the most, you know, can I curse on this thing? Please. Oh, my, please. We just, yeah. told, <laughs> we just told each other fucked up drug stories and we laughed about it. And very soon after we started, we knew that we needed to talk about the fact that we were both in recovery. Otherwise, it would just be this ridiculous glorification of drugs. But it still sort of was that, you know, it was just kind of like reveling in our stupidity, you know, and enjoying it. And, and like and then it became kind of like very obvious that lots of people felt shame about stuff they had done. And right. um, and we thought that that doesn't necessarily empower people to get better. And we thought that it's it's more fun to acknowledge our past and uh, and, and have a laugh at it and, and that we survived, you know. The mm. fucked up thing is that uh, two years into it, Chris wound up relapsing and dying. Oh, so, you know, that was a really bad deal. And um, the podcast, I, I I, mean, in the beginning of the podcast, I made this whole point of it not, not wanting to do a recovery podcast because it just seemed like a really sanctimonious thing. <laughs> um, and then after, after Chris died, it was like, I don't know, you know, I kind of have to really acknowledge the recovery first, but the the dopey remains intact wow fuck me what a journey starting a podcast hell's bells and i'm so sorry for your loss man that really yeah. sucks yeah it's, it's i'm sorry too and it's a crazy story i know but as a personal kind of endorsement of I've, I've recently uh become a, a a fan of dopey as a result of hearing your story on uh it's all bad friends of show and mm. um and just like that kind of visceral feeling of um the identification that like it's it's different than that kind of an intellectualizing like hearing a speaker tape both rose and i are in recovery to totally break anonymity for the billionth time but um of like hearing a speaker tape or kind of like hearing about alcoholism or addiction the hearing the stories behind it and kind of feeling the relationship of like oh man like I feel so fucking grateful to kind of have been carried from that point to this point. You know, it's like, I, there's a crazy kind of like embodied experience of hearing the show. So thank you for bringing that. Cause I think it gets a lot more people who, you know, dopey nation <laughs> would have not necessarily kind of been introduced to this as a way of life into the, what we do here in the kind of like through the back door of, of whatever 12 step fellowship one is a part of. Right. Right. Chris, Chris had a great phrase for that. He called it, uh, we were rope a doping people. We would bring them <laughs> in through the debauchery and then they would find the recovery. And the truth is that That's like, beautiful. there are so many addicts, you know, who could relate to like, you know, him, like Chris, like the first episode he told a story about when he, was in a blackout that he wanted to steal uh, Xanax from a veterinarian's clinic. So he went into the veterinarian's clinic, you know, in a blackout and assaulted, you know, the, the nurse at the veterinarian's clinic and the cops showed up and he wound up stealing phenylbarbital. 
and uh and he got arrested and he he went to to prison he went to jail for a year over it but like but like there is an audience of people who can relate to that i mean i told a story on the show with one of my favorite dopey stories which was i was with a friend of mine and um who also died you know he died just before chris died actually and uh and i was using heroin with him my wife had left with uh our child and i was alone in this apartment and my friend was there and we were doing heroin we were also doing a ton of pills and i guess we had started we had stopped taking benzos and uh and i have this I'm very prone to seizuring if I'm in withdrawal from benzos. So we're like, I'm shooting heroin, he's snorting heroin, and I and we ordered Mexican food, right? And, <laughs> Seems um, like the so thing to got, do. Yeah, we got hungry, <laughs> so we ordered Mexican food, and then I have a seizure. And as I'm having a seizure and I pass out, there's a knock at the door, and my friend Todd has to go. He doesn't know what to do. He's freaking out because he's probably thinking I'm overdosing also because I'm seizing while we're shooting, you know, heroin. And he goes to the door. He opens the door. And as he opens the door, I think he's so traumatized with fear that he faints. Okay. I get up out of my seizure and I find Todd on the floor in the doorway and standing over him is this Uh-oh. guy. And I was like, what the fuck happened to Todd? What did he do to Todd? And then I had to realize that the dude was carrying a bag and wearing like restaurant outfit. <laughs> but I realized we had ordered delivery. But you have to be an addict to think that's funny. It's like the total junkie threes company scenario or Seinfeld scenario. Um, Wait, what are you doing here? Oh, you have fucking who are you? To be here. Well, Todd was laid out in the doorway. He was just laid out, and I had Poor to wait. I know, and I had to. It was like, but to me, that's like that's the 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 spirit of Dopey is this, the 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 most crazy story, but also the most sort of banal delivery domestic experience. And like, I woke up Todd, and I was laughing my ass off because I knew what a funny thing this was. And he was so mad that I thought it was so funny because he had thought you were through. dead. <laughs> he thought he he thought I was dead and he had passed out. But that that's basically wow. the spirit of Toby. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to check out more episodes. That's fucking fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Um so without further ado, we like to dive into the deep end around the subject of this podcast, sober sex. So what were some of the early messages that you received around sex and sexuality? Like whether that's pre using and drinking or like just kind of the, the formative seeds of your uh, upbringing around sex and sexuality. I was uh, born and raised in Manhattan and um, I was very fortunate. Like I got into a school, like a very, very great public elementary school. And um, so I was around very, bright people and also very liberal people and and like so there was you know there was no focus on sex or sexuality I mean I got into my school in in 1979 I think it was pre-sexuality somehow in 1979 um but uh my I mean so and I also grew up in Chelsea which basically is the gayest city (laughs) the gayest neighborhood in the world probably um so like I quickly you know, my favorite thing about AA is that love and tolerance is our code. And I kind of think I felt that inherently when I first even came around sexuality. Uh, for me, it was um, what specifically, like, what do you want to know? You know what I mean? Like, like, I think I, I like any kind of 
Well, for me, I, I probably started feeling curious about sexuality when I was 11 or 12. Um, and I think I kissed my first girl properly when I was in seventh grade. Um, what seventh grade? What age is that for us? 12 or 13, 13, 13, Bear Mountain, Dana Schneider. It was magical. She wound up becoming gay because of it, probably. <laughs> you know, as a, a woman partner and children, but uh, I'm sure I was a part of her. What's uh, up, Dana? Dana. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, and then uh, I just, I think. Um, I was just kind of your average heterosexual teen in Manhattan, you know, try, I mean, but I didn't, I didn't have sex until I was 17 or something. So like I had a, a good chunk of just fooling around with girls in, in my uh, kind of junior high school, high school mode. And I wasn't hypersexual, but uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think I had quite a similar experience. Like I grew up in Tribeca, but oh, where'd you go to high school? <laughs> I went to Trevor Day. It used to be the day school uptown, but okay. Um, but yeah, like Why I think called a day school. I don't know, man, because they were fucking it was mad waspy. <laughs> um, but this idea of like just because one grows up in like a big city doesn't necessarily mean there's kind of a culture that's hypersexual, like or that people mature really fast in that area, you know? Because I know that Rose, like you had kind of a more rural upbringing, like you were a kid in the countryside, and you had totally had not that experience. Oh yeah, totally not. <laughs> Rose, what was your experience? Well, I grew up in the countryside with mad hippie parents, like Jewish, Buddhist, fucking people had moved out the city to the countryside and like really, really Christian little village, 24 children in the school. But my mum like would come to school with no shoes on and it's like her armpit hair flowing freely <laughs> to embarrass me. for me to make a little scarf out of but um yeah basically yeah like I could do whatever I wanted like sex was totally free like it was just mad open all the time everyone was fucking yeah like that so I I would say in some respects it was traumatic I think the openness of that like hearing your parents be like let's talk about making love you know like I'm just be like this is disgusting but like you know we all end up in the kind of I don't know I ended up in the same kind of like icky place with it in in my using regardless of having this big like open childhood around sex you know like I wasn't fucked up by my parents views shall I say but I just like got fucked up anyway you know yeah my parents were like pretty like conservative teachers who like had a sort of hippie aesthetic in their politics but not in their actions right. and um i think i remember stumbling upon the book the joy of sex you know oh that my book. god me too yeah and i was like what, what is this yeah it's very oh, very erotic so weird. yeah it's very very weird book but uh i, I remember was, being like staring at those pictures and being like what are what, they doing yeah, what's going on here yeah. um like I don't like I wasn't sucked in. It was too I friendly. I think it was just too friendly. It was all hand drawn, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like it was, it was very positive. It was like probably something like the joy of sex. Book. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I think my my friends all came the over joy of and cooking. wanted to look at it. Yeah, it was like probably in the cooking, the the joy series, the joy of sex, the joy of cooking, <laughs> joy of. But exercise. that in itself was just like too. 
I don't know. I think it might be just better to just discover some like really filthy magazines or something. But just the fact that it was so positive, like creeped me out in itself. I was just like, no. <laughs> but there was know. something, there was something about pornography that really grossed me out when I was a teenager. Like it just like, cause it looked, I think it's just the fakeness of the look, you know, I came up in the eighties and like, it just had this really fake, nasty sort of like highly glossed, highly made up, highly hairsprayed. And it just didn't appeal to me. So it was like kind of gross. Also, like I came up on probably pornography at summer camp and the kids who had it grossed me out. And I remember one time I was like 11 or something and I went to get my hair cut. I went to meet my dad at the barbershop to get my hair cut. And he was sitting in the in the barbershop looking at a Playboy. And my dad is the straightest guy in the world. Like, like straight, like does not like engage with porn or, or anything like that's anything that's not like cut and dry. You know, he's a 40 year educator, very nerdy guy. And I said, dad, I said, dad, what are you doing? Looking at play, reading Playboy. And he goes, I'm just reading the articles, David. I don't look at the pictures. And it, was like, it was like this great bit, you know. Um, oh, my God. Do you think he actually did just no. read the articles? No, he was just having fun. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Fuck with me. You're like, um, ah. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, this guy sounds really nice. He is really, really nice. My dad. He really, really is. And um, he, um, you know, I was not, I had friends who were really into porn. I, I was not really into porn when I was a kid. It came later once it was free. Um, uh, but sex, like, it was more, it wasn't, I think I was a little bit scared of it. Uh, I was a little bit scared of it, and I didn't, I didn't know what I was missing kind of thing. And, I mean, like, I guess in my teen years, it was a lot of fooling around. Like, when my parents were away, I would bring girlfriends home, and we'd fool around, and I didn't feel the need to actually have intercourse like I wasn't dying to have intercourse that's quite sweet I mean also I think that you know we, we talk about growing up in the city and then having like all these crazy sex shops like I remember like the 90s sex shops in like the West Village and uh up, up through Chelsea which were mostly gay sex shops feeling I remember like feeling like I couldn't like look in the windows because it was like too it was like too sexualized couldn't acknowledge their existence especially if i was with an adult it was like oh no like this is like oh god don't look don't even look in that direction there's just across the street don't look across the street I, I came up i think like i'm probably 10 years older than you louisa or more and uh so i came up i would take the bus to school and my you know i went to school on the upper east side and i grew up in chelsea so we'd go through Times square when Times square was still old school Times square so it's all porn theaters and crazy shit like real down and out old school new york and that that it scared the shit out of me just like you know peep, show, I mean? peep show peep show peep show peep show peep show like, but it had a scary vibe it was not like a um seductive vibe at all and um i mean and then even in my i i didn't really like i was so almost not i just didn't have enough sex you know it, like when i was young I didn't have many sexual partners. Like when I went to school in the first place, like I, I like had sex like twice in the first two years of school. Like I was like ostracized and like not, not loved. And then, and then I kind of just got into relationships and whatever. And then once I became strung out on heroin, I didn't have sex for years, like literally. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of the next route of questioning. Like how did 
like what happened you know like how did what when did that when did you get introduced to drugs and alcohol and then how did you kind of weave that into your sexual story um let's see i got introduced to drugs and alcohol i i mean late I, i drank when i was 17 and i smoked weed when i was 17 and um but i didn't drink alcoholically or smoke weed addictedly if that's a word addictedly um until much later oh yeah so i started drinking and smoking weed when i was 17 and i didn't do either like an addict i just did it like a kid who wanted to experiment and uh and same with sex i was i was very kind of easygoing with sex it wasn't crazy it was like girlfriends and it was not like excessive it wasn't like too little it wasn't too much it was pretty like i was pretty comfortable I didn't feel like I was pining for much more and I, you know, whatever, it was fine. And, um, I probably started using like an addict in college. And I also like maybe for some, I also wasn't getting any, I wasn't involved with women at all in college because I was this crazy outsider. And I think both things kind of happened concurrently where I was such an outsider and it happened with hot at first where we just made me feel safe and a part of and there were no women you know what I mean like I went to like a kind of classic American university and like I was just not in a category and I think I had gone to such a safe elementary school and high school with the same people that I wasn't used to like branching out at all and um I don't know like I, I wound up becoming a stoner probably when I was 18 or 19 and I literally smoked every day until I was 35 probably what did you study at university I started studying television and I and I wound up uh as an art history photography student oh wow go on. and uh I got kicked out I got kicked out of the school where I became a stoner and and I transferred to uh SUNY Purchase which was an art school Pass and my sex, life, my sex life really opened up there it was great what happened? Like, how did that? Transpire? I think it was like, I think it was like, because of my, I, I wanted, I, I had been um, really interested in working in television as a kid. I had actually worked at MTV when I was in high school. I had gotten on MTV in high school and I wanted to, like, I had the yearnings of having a talk show when I was like a little kid. I wanted to like do something on television or radio. And, um, you know, when we got, I got an internship at MTV and it turned into kind of a hosting job at MTV. And I was like, there's no reason I shouldn't be doing this professionally. And I wound up going to school to study television. But as soon as I started doing it, I was like, this sucks. I don't want to study this. It's like learning how to weld or something. It was so boring and it was not fun. And I, I basically, it, it was kind of, there's another like kind of seed of addict alcoholicness in me there that I was just not patient um, to let, learn the craft, you know, learn it slowly and figure out how to do it. And, and um, so like I was, and I was getting high and I really enjoyed sitting in the dark art history room and watching them show me pictures of paintings when I was high and hearing them explain them to me. I was like, I should study that because it sounds like a much better time. That and sounds uh, much more peaceful. <laughs> I know, but it's interesting because I'm just thinking about it right now. Like that was a moment to be patient with the, you know, learning how to produce. And I wasn't. And I was like, I got annoyed really quickly and I gave up really quickly. And I was like, just let me just watch you show me pictures of paintings instead. Um, 
but we wound up getting arrested uh in that school and i had to transfer to purchase and i was like fuck it and i i and it's like a regret now that i didn't try to like study film at purchase or anything i was just like i did photography and i did art history and um and i did a lot of drugs i did my first heroin at purchase i did a ton of psychedelics i did whatever pills i could get coke whatever you but know, it, it sounds like that kind of classic trajectory of like, and in the midst of the like love, applause, blah, 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 like I discovered the thing, <laughs> like the the kind of congruent with like feeling social acceptance. There was also a lot of drug use. And I, I know that's definitely kind of my story too, that the thing that made me feel socially accepted and kind of like that I had arrived <laughs> was it, like positively enforced with drug use, you know? Totally. But that's the other interesting thing is that in high school, I had this group of friends who I'm still very close with. And I had the I had arrived feeling from being one of them. And then when I went to college, that went away. And I was mm. like, left, you know, and then it took drugs to, to have the new I had arrived feeling. And it's really interesting. Actually, mm. I never think about it like this. So I appreciate this. Yeah, no, that is really interesting. And I think also that like, the going from like going from the kind of like warm water of friendship and safe in high school to like this cold water of like this is boring i have no friends <laughs> like fuck this to like back into the pool of like art history friends drugs like right, that sounds right. like right. obviously it's, it's more attractive and enticing and it sounds much sort of more in alignment with your drug of choice of just like having someone show you pictures in a dark room <laughs> very like soothing i'm like i wish i wanted to show up and do that now that sounds heavenly exactly <laughs> no it was just like kind of you had mentioned that first for stretches of your using you didn't use drugs like i know that i'm i'm a cokehead so like my drug use was very sexualized but i know that's not this, the case for a lot of junkies like how did that kind of end up moving through social sexual drug use to kind of uh the later or not even later, but like what looked like active addiction? Well, I think it was like, for me, like sex became a substance, you know what I mean? And I, and I kind of got the same exact thing from sex that I got from weed, pills, heroin. I didn't get it from Coke for some reason. I didn't get that thing. And the thing was me leaving my consciousness it's like me and, and it would be like relaxed it would be um not thinking you know i would i would finally get to not think and I, and i and i had that same experience uh from sex as i had from substances however i was like getting substances was way easier than getting sex so i wasn't like particularly focused on the sex element and i think that because sex involved another person it was way more complicated and i was really immature i think like i really like liked sticking with my little pack of nerdy boys and playing music or listening to music and getting high like that was way easier um because that's how i came up you know what i mean i came up with this very fraternal group and uh, and that made me feel comfortable you know what i mean and even having relationships outside of the group was like a wild thing. It was way different than what I was used to because I think I was so immature um, just as a, as a teenager or whatever. Um, I think it took, and then I think once the drugs really took hold, it was like maturity was far from coming to me. You know, it was more like sex. As Impossible. <laughs> right. 
or, or like at art school though, I think way more people were attracted to me and it was easier and it was just like, it wasn't so much work basically. So, I mean, yeah, it was great. It was like, I remember, I remember like where I went to school the first time, it was like nobody, like maybe two people like in years, actually there were maybe a couple more than that, but it was never good. It was always kind of like very odd and crazy. And then when we got to art school, I went with a friend of mine from the first school. And I remember the first night, like we were in some girl's room and there were like 10 girls. And I was like, they smell so good. I said to my friend, like, it was like the, the power went out. It was like some like ridiculous moment. You know what I mean? Like where, where I hadn't had that. And it just it became so easy. It was so much easier. So like to be a sort of sexually active person also with the drugs, it was convenient. You know, it was convenient to get high with, I think at the first school we weren't, I wasn't getting high with many women. I think once you have women that want to get high with you, the sex kind of just sort of followed. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. So skipping forward to sobriety, how did that initially transform your sex life and your relationships? Well, I mean, once I got sober, I was, uh, I was, I got back together with the mother of my daughter. So, and uh, luckily I have not strayed, but we have a very nice and rich, good sex life. So I'm very happy. Um, I had a couple of moments uh, when I had first gotten sober where, um, where I had to date, you know what I mean? And like, I found it very difficult, extremely. In fact, I had gotten sober. I had broken it off with uh, my daughter's mother or she had broken it off with me. And, um, and it seemed like we weren't going to get back together. And, um, so I felt like I had to date and, uh, I was in a 12 step fellowship trying to date. And I, I was just like, I can't do it. Like I, and I wound up drinking. Um, and I wasn't a drinker, you know what I mean? I, I figured I was, I was allowed to drink, uh, <laughs> cause I was in narcotics anonymous. I figured they didn't need to know about it. And, uh, it's not a narcotic. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't date. Like I couldn't date. I couldn't have a, a, like, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I was looking for, for easy sex. I was looking for, for sexual romance, whatever. And I needed alcohol or else I could not handle it. Yeah, definitely hear that. It's interesting. Cause like <laughs> I got sober when I was 20. And so basically just only dated sober people for like 10 years. No, like <laughs> until I met my current partner. <laughs> um but that would like therefore burned a lot of bridges within the fellowships um and then right. rose yeah i mean not recommended anybody who's listening who think that's a good idea it's not a good idea don't do that <laughs> and then rose like met her current partner like what as you were getting sober who's also sober and yeah i mean dating what a I fucking nightmare <laughs> i mean i would i'd like gone to a meeting met some people through a party and then was like then they brought my husband along and I wasn't very like happy about that. Like I didn't know he wasn't he didn't like come in a package as my husband. <laughs> he was not Here's then your husband. husband. <laughs> this is how 12 step works. Here is your husband now. It wasn't like that, but um this fucking knob showed up in my really small apartment and who is now my husband. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. We're but out. you know, poor poor well, poor love. I mean, you know, he went through like the detox and the rehab with me and like just sort of sat from the side. But I always say to him, like, you fucking had like eight years at that point, so that's on you, bro. Was <laughs> you that, know what I mean? Right. Was, 
was that the classic 13 step move on on his part or what i mean not really because it wasn't technically a meeting like he always makes me tell this side of the story to like so it doesn't look like he did the 13 step thing but he's not really that kind of guy you know what i mean well, as somebody who has been thirteenth stepped, like you know what it might mean. Look, it's not know. that situation. Yeah, I, I feel like he was actually like super boundaried and like not a weird yeah. predator. Because <laughs> I got out of rehab and I was like, I'm moving in with you, and he was like, I'm unfortunately no, that won't be happening. And I was like, I'm homeless, and he was like, You'll figure it out. And I'm like, and I moved into like a fucking women's shelter, and he was he held his line like, well, like that's smart. I mean, it's incredible I, I do me today imagine yeah, like, Come in. Imagine. <laughs> i mean i think had he not at that point been working at killer program and also picking up on some mad alan on skills he we wouldn't still be together honestly well i mean i think i think that makes sense i think one of my favorite things that happened when i finally got sober was there was a young woman who kind of 13 stepped me um and it was like the greatest thing ever like for me i mean <laughs> She was, she was younger than me and I was, uh, scared and sad. And it was like, it was like, it's very rare that you hear stories like that where nothing bad happened. And then I wound up getting back together with my daughter's mother and me and that woman were just like, cool, whatever. And it was, but it was it's a great moment in my life. That because sounds actually like, very sweet. The way you talk about it. It, like, sound really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it didn't have to be that way. I was lucky that, that she was cool and that, I mean, it was it worked out. I think she had a year when I walked into the program. You know what I mean? And then we like dated for like a month, and then we were done. But it was nice. Yeah. I mean, I, they don't recommend that, but I know that I was so fucked up when I got to twelve step the second time that uh, it was a softer, easier way. We'll say totally. Like, oh my god! <laughs> you know, hundred <laughs> percent. Um. So, you know. In kind of listening to Dopey, it's really super clear, like, what what we are hearing is kind of two people becoming friends, you know, and, like, having a a, a new, like, a, a level of, like, emotional intimacy generated through kind of humor and, and kinship, you know, like, what we talk about when we talk about, like, the unity part of the fellowship. And I wonder, especially because you're talking about kind of coming through, like, high school and eventually college and in terms of like kind of packs of of boys if it was perhaps this friendship not to ask like too much of a leading question but if you feel like your friendship that like you know listeners get to to hear the evolution of if that informed your ability to kind of have emotional intimacy well I think that I was I think the reason that Dopey was the way it was was because of those relationships with packs of boys when I was younger like it was always like that the thing that I'm best at is kind of like disarming people and like and like making friends like I've always just been great at making friends so when when Chris showed up I mean me and him were like we made friends in rehab but it wasn't like we were tight um but we were both very open and when he showed up to do dopey like basically we had a lot of things in common. Like we were both like crazy obsessive and we were both like pretty ambitious. And we both kind of had that junky thing where you're like the piece of shit in the center of the universe where you, you think you're so great, but you also think you're so terrible. So like we started making the show also just, we had this humorous chemistry where our, our fucking 
character defects like worked in harmony whereas like i could be a dick right and chris loved the attention of getting abused because he was getting this attention you know? <laughs> so, so it was like it was like this perfect symbiosis <laughs> between us and then you know you mix the fact that he liked it when i was abusive to him on the show and it was really funny and you mix that with this ambition of making the show so like we we you know maybe in we had known each other for four years or something when we had started Dopey, but we had probably talked, you know, twenty times, thirty times in four years. When we started making the show till the day he died, we spoke every day, mm-hmm. every day, and uh, and we were crazy obsessive about growing the show. Um, both of us, we we did it in very different ways. So like I think that our friendship. Um, was just it was a natural sort of like outcome of of me having had all I mean I have so many I'm not trying to be uh arrogant I just have tons of friends and I have a lot of I have a lot of close friends yeah you know, it's, well, it's have, good that I, you know your strengths you know like I think having not, that superpower not, is amazing it's not an arrogance it's like just my reality is that like it's also a weakness you know I rely on people uh, I rely on people all the time like to bolster me up in a way that isn't necessarily shouldn't necessarily be necessary to have somebody tell me X, Y, and Z are okay, or X, Y, and Z are cool, or this works, or this doesn't work, that I rely on these people in all these different situations. And I probably always have. And that's not necessarily a superpower. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's also a weakness. Um, I think uh, the best thing about Dopey, I mean, I think there are, I'm very proud of Dopey. The, the coolest thing and easily the sweetest thing is that the magic of the first 143 episodes is that it is a, a recorded document of a friendship being formed and developing. Like, so and that, beautiful. that is very beautiful. And um, mm-hmm. well, the, the sickest thing is that he had to die right then. So like in a lot of ways, it's like this, it's like a nightmare. Like, uh, like I don't even believe it. And like, we were barely friends beforehand. So when he died, in in a way, it was like this dream that it never really meant anything besides this show. You're left with this document that is this show. And the whole point of the show wasn't to help anybody. It wasn't to help us. It was to have a laugh. It was to be stupid and funny and dumb. You know, so like when he died, it was like, it's like water evaporating. It's like, what the fuck was that? It's like very, because... My, I had another friend who died six weeks before Chris. This guy named Jesus Todd. fucking Christ. And this guy named Todd uh, was like my best friend, and and I used with Todd everywhere. I used with Todd from from he lived with me in Manhattan. Uh, he lived with me in Los Angeles. We drove back and forth the country using. We got strung out on heroin. We we did coke. He we did meth. We did acid. We did we we smoked weed together every day. Like he was like the evil devil on my shoulder and I was the same for him. And, uh, you know, I got sober because I needed to be a father to my kid. Like I needed to do that. I couldn't live with myself. Otherwise he didn't have the same conviction and he never got sober. And, um, and he wound up dying, uh, six weeks before Chris and it fucked me up, you know, and then Chris died and I just got fucking angry. You know, um, that how could he be doing this when Todd just died? Like, like I was just super angry. And like, so Chris is the big death in Dopey because Chris created Dopey with mm-hmm. me. Um, but Todd had been my friend yeah. for... In your life. You know, 
you know, since I was 18 years old. So he had been like one of my best friends for, you know, uh, 13, 14, 15 years when, when he had died. Um, so that was just fucking crippling. Not to mention that I still have this sort of resentment of Chris for fucking with it after Todd died. So it's like, it's very fucked up. It's crazy, really. Oh my God. But it's loaded. Like, deep, it's a deep, deep situation. But what you're talking about is I think like... <sighs> ultimately like the goal of what we what we do when we do recovery you know it's like mm-hmm. you're talking about like creating loving relationships and like the fucking like the real motherfucker with that is that like it's still a chronic progressive and fatal illness you know exactly that's that is you know when chris died um you know i had a sponsor and uh he was i loved my sponsor he was this old jewish guy and he wound up moving to LA and I didn't want to have a relationship with him on the phone. So I got this other interim sponsor um, right before Chris died. And then he died. And the dude said to me that that was Chris carrying the message. And um, I was so angry to hear that. Like, it just seemed like the worst thing to hear. Uh, And I like, I kind of gave that sponsor up because I didn't want to hear about it from him, but Mm -hmm. it's true. It's like, Yes, you know, Dopey was magical because it uh, it showed friendship and love, platonic love, you know, brotherly love, uh, fellow, you know, love among fellows in, 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 in recovery, um, which was incredibly strong and incredibly cool. And the idea was if they could do it, so could I. But then one of them couldn't do it and he died. So like it becomes much worse. You know what I mean? It starts off as this great thing. Oh, these guys can talk shit about recovery and their friends and it's magical, blah, blah, blah. And then bang, he's dead. You know, and why did he die? He died because he wasn't working a program. He wasn't going to meetings. He wasn't talking to his sponsor. He wasn't doing the things necessary to stay sober. So he died. But like it's it's the gamut, right? It's fucking crazy. Well, and also, I mean, it's like, it's what you did with not what you did with his death. That sounds fucking weird, but like the, the actions we take after loss that allows the death to be carry the message, you know, it's like, had you gone out over that, that would not been carrying the message, you know? Cause like right, right. suddenly there's this huge, like there's a lot of people paying attention. <laughs> it's like, Oh fuck. Like, I mean, do you feel responsibility for, for said dopey nation? No, I, I didn't. I, I, I was very selfish about it. Like I had always wanted to have a show and I had a show and I didn't want to give the show up. And um, <laughs> and also I felt a certain sort of responsibility to the fact that, I mean, the audience was was small. You know, the audience was much smaller than it is now when when Chris died. He actually died. Like one of the missions of the show was to have this guy, Artie Lang, on the show. And Artie Lang was a comedian who was on the Howard Stern show who wound up relapsing on heroin while he was on the Howard Stern show. And I was this ridiculous Howard Stern fan. So I was trying for the whole time to get Artie on. We wound up getting Artie on the show. And that was the last day I saw Chris alive was when we went to Artie's house. Oh my God. Hoboken. So like, um, after, so after Artie came on the show, the audience grew, you know, 25% wow. or something, maybe 30%. And then, I really believe that the audience had been kind of just there. Like some people listen to this one, some people listen to that one. When they saw Artie was on the show, they were like, holy shit, they've been trying to do this the whole time. And they jumped in. And then three weeks later, four weeks later, Chris was dead. And the audience grew another uh, 40%. 
because they were like, holy shit, like what happened to Chris? You know, and um, I knew that the audience at that point relied on the show um, that every I think then we put it up Saturday in the afternoon, but they knew that at some point on Saturday they would go and Dopey would be up. And the one thing that Chris and I agreed more than anything is we'd never miss a week, you know? So it was that Saturday and, and uh, he was such a fucking mess, Chris. Um, he was on a, he was on a sober companion job in Texas and um, he was just drifting away from me. And I had figured he was not interested in making the show anymore. Um, but in fact he was relapsing, but I didn't realize that. And, um, and he came back and, uh, it was late, late, late. He was fighting with his girlfriend and we did the show and it was terrible. And if you listen to the last episode that he was alive for, he was a fucking train wreck. You know, I, it was, it was like one in the morning. He had been fighting with his girlfriend for hours and I believed all those things, but in reality he was really high. Um, so like after he died, I wanted to keep the show. I had an audience. I wanted an audience. But I also felt that if Chris was dead and let's say 3,000 people at that point listened to Dopey every every Saturday, I was like, those 3,000 people deserve to hear what happened to Chris. Mm. And, and, that, and, that, and so then, and, and my, my partner was like, you don't need to do the show. And I was like, I do, because these people need to know what happened. And I was fucked up over it. You know, I was like, these people need to know what happened. And Chris's girlfriend had found his body and um, and she came on that episode and it was like very crazy. Fuck. Well, I mean, you see, you keep being wow. like, I'm selfish. I wanted to keep the show, but like selfish or not, you know, I think like it's affected positive change in, in mm. sober, sober, curious people everywhere. So that's like, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> like kind of, even if it might be in spite of your, like yourself it's still a fucking like amazing thing and you know it's keeping on keeping on and definitely bringing us some joy so thanks for that yeah thank you well yeah i mean i didn't feel brave i felt like i wanted to make i wanted to keep the show going you know and i did um and i felt uh and then the other thing that that everybody says is i can't believe you didn't use over it and it was like i can have the show then (laughs) no 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 it was not that in the slightest and it wasn't like I don't, I didn't have any highfalutin recovery working for me, but you know, in May of that, you know, he died in July in, in May, I had my second child on the same day that we bought a house. Like I'm not going to start using because Chris died. I just, that would be like the worst thing. I just couldn't do it. (laughs) It was not, it was not in my mind. It was not like, I was like, I'm not going to use, it was like no fucking way. It wasn't even like, it was not, I don't feel any temptation to use. I I haven't, like I've been fortunate and I don't feel tempted to use because I, one thing I know about my addiction is if I use, I won't stop using. Like it'll take a lot to stop me and, um, and I might die, but I won't, it won't be a one-time thing. That is the, the recovery and that is the freedom, isn't it? That you, this fucking tragic thing happened. Two tragic things happened in a short space of time. And you're like, no, I'm not right. using it. This is removed. <laughs> yeah, like this isn't, this isn't even a fucking thing right now. Right. Is- no, that is the freedom. I went to a yeah. meeting. I, I, I go to this meeting and there's a woman who just got a year and, um, and this meeting, I think, had been created 10 years before. And um, and she had created the meeting, right? 
10 years before and she was getting her year this year holy shit and she's and she shared um and i wasn't there when they set up the meeting i didn't live on long island i didn't know any of these people but i was just like she shared and it was a very like sort of classic share but i'd never heard anybody say it like this she said she had reached out to her old sponsor and that she wanted and she like she didn't want to stop drinking um she wanted to ride motorcycles and 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 travel and be a great friend and explore and this and that and whatever and the sponsor said well you can you can either travel and ride motorcycles and explore or you can drink you just can't do both you know what i mean and i feel like if i use i can't do anything else right you know and like and i like the freedom of everything else you know and i never was going to get higher than i got you know i was there was no higher it just doesn't get better after a certain point like oh why that's i mean that's a beautiful way to put it and i mean i guess to kind of circle back to what the reason you said you were getting sober in terms of like to be a a parent to your kid how did you and your partner end up getting back together uh after your recovery after you got sober it's interesting um when i you know basically I was this ridiculous heroin addict for, for many, many, many years, for, you know, 10 years, 12 years, something. And my mother was dying of leukemia and I was living in Los Angeles and I decided to come home because I couldn't bear the guilt of my mother dying in Manhattan while I was on methadone in Los Angeles. I was not going to let that happen. So I came home and, uh, I hung out with my mom over the summer and, uh, and I got off methadone and, um, and then she died. And I met my daughter's mother like weeks later and she was pregnant months later. And, and, and just about when she got pregnant, I relapsed, you know, um, and I never had any sobriety. I was smoking pot the whole time. And, um, we never like had a chance to like have a real relationship or like have anything that made any sense. And, um, I just know that I put her life through hell like she wound up catching me with heroin when we had the baby. So like she left and, um, and then I basically spent four years on a daily basis beating myself up for fucking up this, this girl and this family. And like I had, and she's my, my daughter's mother is like the most beautiful woman in the world. And she's like very kind and and amazing. And I was like, I can't believe this thing was given to me and I fucked the whole Mm -hmm. thing up. Um, and I, beat myself up about it and I would call her every day to try to put the family back together and she was like nope 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 and then kind of like the summer the summer before I got sober we had tried to get back together but then she found out that I was still on pills and and smoking weed every day and when she found out that I was still on pills she like took away my custody and um and I had like I had to go, you know, I I got 18 months clean four years before to get my custody, my weekend custody. And then she had found out that I had relapsed. So she took it away and I lost my mind. And I found myself one night writing this letter to her, begging me to let me smoke weed. Um, Like, I won't do anything else. And I just need to smoke weed. And I'm typing this letter and I'm chain smoking cigarettes. And and that's when I kind of had my spiritual awakening. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I was like, why am I begging her to let me smoke pot? And like, I went to a meeting the next day and that was my, my first day. So like, so like months, months later, she knew I had gotten sober. And I think she just, she, I think she just sensed in me that there was a change and she was willing to give it another shot. I think what happened was our daughter had gotten hurt. Uh, and I came out and, and I think she could tell that I was, uh, 
very serious and very sober and she wanted to give it a shot and um and it worked out you know and we've been together ever since and we had another another daughter and uh bought a house and here we are real grown-up shit congratulations congratulations it's crazy though right i mean that like the the beauty of that is a spiritual awakening of like what am i doing like i really need to smoke weed it's really fucking but it's like that's so beautiful that you were actually able like to differentiate the true from the false in that moment you know because like it's it was you know it was one of those moments though that you it wasn't my ability to differentiate it just happened you know and i didn't even see it at that as that then i didn't see it as anything i just saw, I, I i just I just saw myself writing the letter and I was like, I need fucking help. And I went to an AA meeting the next morning or the next afternoon. And I hadn't smoked weed that day. And there was a guy who was uh, celebrating 10 years. Right. And he was 28. And I was just like, Ugh. you know, like <laughs> I, was, I was 41. And I was like, I, I, I like, I could not take it. And then I went up to him after the meeting to talk to him. Cause I was, uh, I don't know why I was a glutton for punishment. And he goes, he, I told him a bit of my story and he said, oh, is this your first day? And I had no intention of it being my first day. But when he asked me, I said, yeah, I guess it is. And I went home and I called a friend and I gave him like jars of weed. Like I had jars and jars of pot and edibles and shit. And I gave it all to my friends. And, um, and then I went to another meeting the next morning, this 730 meeting in the morning. And I am an early riser still. Um, and I told my story because I was so still devastated that I didn't have my family, that I had fucked it all up with this pills and whatever. And there was a guy at the meeting. He was a, he was a very famous painter from New Zealand. And he said, uh, we would like it if you came back tomorrow. And like no one had ever said that to me. And uh, it was a daily meeting. You know, it was Monday, every day of the week at 730 in the morning. And I went back every day for probably 18 months, you know, and um it saved my life without a doubt because I, I needed a place to go every day. I needed a place to go as soon as I got up. I would get up at five. You know what I mean? I would get up in the morning at five and like chain smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and be stupid. And then I would, I would go to that meeting every morning and it totally saved my life. That's fucking awesome. And like, I, it's, I, it, <laughs> it's not necessarily like sober sex specifically, but the like, the gestation of early recovery of just like figuring out how to be a human uh, is so it's always so, so wonderful to hear about. So thanks for sharing that with us. I feel like I've, I've ruined your sober sex. Oh, not at all. We're going to, we're going back in to the sexual part. Yeah, Don't, worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, going back to your relationship. Um, so, you know, all relationships have conflicts, obviously. Um, you guys are obviously really strong. You have a second child. That's beautiful. How do you navigate conflicts within your relationship now as they come up? Um, I tend to, I tend to work a really strong 10th step. I, I, I find myself apologizing a lot. Um, Can I you mean, tell for our listeners, like who might not be aware of like what that is a 10th step is? Could you? Okay. Well, I mean, it's funny because a 10 step is when you do something wrong, you promptly admit it. I mean, is there, is, do you have the, was that what the step is, right? Basically? Yeah. Continue to take moral inventory and when we were wrong, we promptly admit it. So like that, that's, so basically that's the secret. I mean, I fuck up all the time, you know, and, and with COVID, 
like and you're all in the house i've been working from home and and we have two kids and she's dealing with the kids and i'm dealing with dopey and i'm dealing with my day job it's like it can get very stressful and um and i would i i i think the greatest thing in 12 step is that love and tolerance is our code the second greatest thing is when they say we have ceased fighting mm. so like i'm an ass when i fight because i will not win you know, my partner is a much more tenacious fighter than I am. I, I can get angry for a second, but it goes away. She can fight like fucking Mike Tyson and like I cannot compete. And like I'm an idiot to try to get in the ring with her. And what and my sponsor is like an old school kind of tough guy, like fucko Long Islander guy. You know, he has the tattoo real deal across. Oh, his my knuckles. God. Only real is R-E-E-L because he's like this fisherman, which is funny. But he's like, what, what, what everybody on Long Island says, if you talk about it, they say, keep your fucking mouth shut. You know, which is funny because like I didn't come up keeping my mouth shut. I came up with a big mouth who had to talk about everything. But like if I can learn to keep my fucking mouth shut in these moments, that's the secret to our success. However, like any relationship, like we have a lot of you know we we have missteps all the time i think that the beauty of our relationship is we tend to recover quickly do you feel like like being a father to girls has kind of changed your relationship with like like who you want to be or like who you think you are definitely i mean it's a long time coming though it's like it's like to to connect the dots because like i i suffer the sin of lust you know what i mean like i i don't have perfectly pure thoughts or whatever like i i go down rabbit holes that i wish i didn't go down um but it's hard to it's like it's it's i'm just going to be totally honest it's like i have these two daughters right who are uh my older one is 10 right so i'm sort of getting into this preteen moment now but like uh, but a, a kid is not like a woman it is not like it is you you don't realize you're dealing with the same thing that you've dealt with when you were a kid with females but now i'm making the connection and and it's starting to like it's it's kind of eye opening like that maybe somebody that i was lusting after was once a 10 year old or like mm -hmm. you know i mean it sounds so stupid it just it opens me up to to kind of being a better human and having more of understanding of, of, of what women go through. Because I think before I had two daughters, I didn't really consider it. That's so awesome. <laughs> I mean, like constantly, constantly, I mean, like, especially within, <laughs> within my career, I'm always like, and anti-rape culture, this and blue, boo, 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 boo. And like, um, gender objectification and like always kind of ranting about it. But this idea of like, Oh fuck. Like, especially as I think addicts, I'm definitely prone to like not seeing people as people and just seeing them as like a vessel through which I can get my needs met, you know? And so to like, I'm not yet a parent. Um, no plans right now, but this idea of like, oh, fuck, like to be given the gift of being able to see another human being as such, you know, even if you're not, if, even if you're not their dad, you know, but it's like, oh man, like you two were just like a freaked out little kid once like, oh. I know, but it's like, it's a journey. You know what I mean? I, I have been somebody who objectifies people in my mind. Like, and it's like, 
it's a it's a it wasn't necessarily a learned behavior like I don't even know where it comes from or, or where it lives I just know that I wish it wasn't a part of of my psyche like where I work like like part of the job is to, to ogle women like you, you they're almost getting paid to, it, it, I don't mean that I just mean like I work in a, I'm not going to say it because I'm not speaking positively I work <laughs> in an old deli I work in an old deli and oh like basically what kind of deli? Of, huh what kind of deli like a Jewish deli what do you mean, <laughs> what, <right>? like, <laughs> what do you mean? there are plenty of different we're in France we have French deli do we <laughs> I work in the most famous deli in the world okay, okay. what's it called it's called Katz's. Okay. Um, Sorry. Have you, ever seen when, have you ever seen When Harry Met Sally? Yes. You know the scene where she orgasms? Oh, yeah. In that's the deli? Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's where I work. Oh, do you sell Walmart pairings? What? What is she asking me? Do you sell Walmart <laughs> pairings? What word did you just say? I feel like we're all on different. You're on Jew. like one planet and then I'm on a different <laughs> planet and I landed in this conversation, which also happens to be my podcast. It's a herring. Sorry. No, we don't. We don't sell okay. herring. I think okay. now we, we just started to sell white fish for shipping, but we don't ship internationally, Rose. Okay. I, can't, <laughs> I can't hook you up. But what I'm going to say is like that objectifying women and I, I'm putting down people I work with, but we're, you know, you men suck sometimes. <laughs> men suck sometimes. And like objectifying women is like, say it again, Ross. So do women. Right. Well, I'm not going to say that because I'm, I'm. He's I'm, not allowed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed very PC. I'm sorry. I keep trying to fuck <laughs> you just like drink skittles. <laughs> I just know that like, I I wish it wasn't built into me to objectify women, but it, it is built into me. But I think my daughters are helping me not do it as much. Being a parent is like, I mean, it, it's a cliche, but it's like the amount of love that I feel like when I look at my kids, it's like, it's crazy, you know? And like the fact that um, I get to be their parent, I mean, like, okay, I'm going to tell you a, a ridiculous story that just happened. Do it. Okay. Do it. I'm working from home and my daughter is sick and it's also veterans day. So she's home from school and um, I'm building this event for my podcast uh, and it's called dopey con too. And it's like an online dopey celebration, whatever. Yay. And uh, there was a woman who came on my podcast. She's a famous actress and her name is Kristen Johnston. She was on the show third rock from the sun. And now she's on the show mom. Um, which is a show about an alcoholic in recovery. I'm trying to get this woman to come on my podcast, on the DopeyCon, you know, DopeyCon 2. <laughs> and, uh, and and she sent me a kissy face emoji, like, in our communication, which I like. I like it when people send me kissy face <laughs> emojis. But when my daughter saw it, she freaked out, you know? And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, what are you doing? And she like got terrified that I was like doing something. You're making kissy face table. emojis with somebody who's not mom. Well, I didn't make the kissy face. Oh, you I were made the bugged them. out tongues, tongue eyed thing emoji. And, and I, but I did also text hearts because I really wanted her to be on the show. And I was, you know, whatever. Oh. Anyway, my, my daughter got the wrong idea and got terrified that I was oh. going uh, around my partner's back on this thing. And, um, but it was, it's like, sometimes texting gets weird, you know what I mean? And like, I just, it's one of those things. And, and for a second, I was not a pure father. I was like this bad, potential bad guy, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that was a really, it's a moment I don't think I've had before. 
you know, with her. So that was a bad moment. I ran through the whole feed with her to explain. And she, she, it, but then she was like scared that me and, and her mother were going to wind up splitting up because of it. You know, it was very like traumatically crazy. But in the end, she, 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 she understood, you know, yeah. but she was scared. You know, it's scary. Like it's, it is, but I said, really, the lesson is you shouldn't be reading my fucking text. <laughs> right. Who do you want to show up as in a relationship? Um, and who are you growing towards being? today with your partner i don't even understand the question um <laughs> i want to be like yeah explain give me give me i mean i just want to be what's your sex ideal <laughs> i don't know what is i don't even in terms of know. like I, who you want to be as showing up as as a partner i want to be like jean-claude van damme <laughs> no, i, mean, like, I, I want to be like you know a healthy sexual person you know what i mean like i don't know i don't know how do you answer Jean-Claude that? Van Damme is de- definitely the best answer we've ever gotten i'll, I'll tell you mine mine is like i want to have good loving communication and i want to you two look like you're both ro- why are you shaking your fucking head I, I, come on come on i i would like to have really good communication like <laughs> you sound so sincere uh, I, I just, you look I like you're doing an impression of me yeah, right yeah. now <laughs> I, would, I would like to have good sexual communication i'm not from birmingham so I'd like like to be hot occasionally and i'd like to get flowers on sunday well the one i most like recently did my set of steps was like right as I was getting into a relationship with Seb, like it was felt unofficial. So it was all my, the person who I was doing the the work with was like compile everything that you said, like, this is what I should do instead within the kind of the, the step work within the, the sex inventory and just like make a list of it. So it's mostly about like, if a relationship is not right, like be swift and sure in leaving it. Like don't, carry shit on that's not for you like like release shit gracefully and don't be an asshole was kind of my most recent sex ideal but now this is like my longest relationship to date and it's it's very it's i haven't had to make a swift and sure departure yet so (laughs) so it's much more like you know i want to be open to feedback and communicate and like be who i am not who i think he wants me to be i think would be it because that generally creates a better relationship for both of us. I'm not like bullshitting constantly. <laughs> That's a better answer than my answer. Right? I mean, I'm sorry for doing a <laughs> bad, bad, bad accent and imitation of you. I, I, I really like that actually. So, what are your goals with Dopey today? Who do you want to reach and who do you want to keep building the incredible Dopey Nation for? Um, I want it to be as big as possible. You know, I would like to not have a day job. I would like, um, I'm very proud of where Dopey is at. Like, I think, uh, you know, we have an amazing community, like this Dopey Nation community. It's like, they look out for each other and like, people get clean from listening to the show, which is pretty crazy. Amazing. There's 20 people out there with Dopey tattoos. That's fucking bonkers. (laughs) uh, we've We've sent eight people to free treatment this year. Um, Holy fuck. I created a, a scholarship with, with a bunch of different treatment centers. We called it the Toodles for Chris uh, uh, scholarship, and eight people have gone to free treatment, and a few of them are still sober, which is nice. And, um, you know, I, I again, I have the uh, very selfish, self-centered ideal of wanting Dopey to be 
the the most important brand that marries entertainment with recovery and addiction that that kind of deals with recovery and addiction in a fun way where it's not sanctimonious and it's not bullshit and it you know it kind of lets people do what they want it meets people where they're at but it also just says like you can be a drug addict in recovery and have a laugh about it and it doesn't need to be any different than if you're listening. I mean, I just think that the potential is to have a talk show that is through the eyes or the lens of recovery and addiction. And that's what I want it to be. And I I want, you know, fucking Robert Downey Jr. on. I want Eric Clapton to come sit down and do Layla. And I want, I want it to be big. I want it, I want it like, cause like basically there, all of us, you know, like there's a huge recovering community out there. There's a bigger addict community and there's an even bigger uh, recovery addict adjacent community and like I have a ton of listeners who had a family member or a friend who went through it and they like to be voyeurs and they like to mm-hmm. like kind of like learn about what we go through and other people who just like to hear the debauchery and dopey is really supposed to be entertaining more than anything else you know so I just want to grow it as big as I can you know that's really beautiful and it's working <laughs> So congratulations. Yeah. I'm really excited to meet you because I really love the show. I listened to your most recent episode and um, I was like, oh, this guy seemed really sweet and lovely. Oh, nice. You listened to the Melissa Phoebos one? Yeah. Or did you listen? That was a good one, right? It was, was great. Good. Where can people find you and hopefully DopeyCon too? How do we, how do we get your Patreon, et cetera? <laughs> DopeyCon 2 it should be December 2nd and it should be like our first ever video event and it's going to be free to see like one night probably December 2nd at 8 o'clock and then after that it'll exist on the podcast and you can get Dopey wherever you get your podcasts iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever I, I, I don't think we're on YouTube anymore I think something went wrong with YouTube so I need to fix that um, but yeah, I mean like or www.dopeypodcast.com. We have exclusive Patreon material at patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, but Google Dopey and it'll be easy enough to find it. What's your favorite sandwich? Uh chicken parm with broccoli on the sandwich. Ooh. Didn't know you could put broccoli in a sandwich. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> can you? Really professional. <laughs> freedom of recovery ladies and gentlemen broccoli in a fucking sandwich uh last great book you read or a series you watched i'm reading this amazing book right now uh it's a memoir of this the drummer from hole oh rat um oh, what's wow. her name fucking uh patty shamel yeah. although if she lived in new york it would definitely be patty shemmel <laughs> but being patty being shemmel. but be, being from uh the northwest it's patty shamel it's an amazing book and Melissa Phoebos' book was great too, Whip Smart. I'm reading all these books because I'm getting these people on the show. So I need to read like a book every week, basically. That's awesome. It's like the yeah. Dopey Book Club is flying high. There is a Dopey Book Club online. There's a there's a community of Dopey Nation people called Dopey Reads. So oh, that's amazing. I love I love the like tenacity of your fans. It's ridiculous. Tell us about a time you laughed really, really hard. Um, I laughed really, really hard last night, um, because these days are so long and we have these two kids who are sick and, uh, and me and my partner can be at each other's throats. And I was watching the rock and roll hall of fame 
induction this year and Whitney Houston was being inducted and my beautiful partner was talking to me while she was walking up the steps in our house saying how Whitney Houston isn't even rock and roll and why are they inducting her into the rock and roll hall of fame she has and, a if point. She was, and if she was watching it she wouldn't even watch that and for some reason that just like snapped me into just hysteria and i just started laughing my ass off. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. not rock and roll whitney houston it's true yeah Nell's induction part was fantastic i must say that was my <laughs> my treat this weekend but nobody played anything. Like I just wanted them to do their performances. Like I wanted them to do something. No, they were all on Zoom. It was sucked. <laughs> but they could have done Zoom performances. They have technology for this kind of stuff. Not Whitney, guys. It's true. Sorry. <laughs> no, but the thing about the reason that it was funny was because she Linda was so annoyed that she was like, I don't even know why you're watching it. And like that was what was funny about it to me. Just like the total like giving up. Like she's not even rocking. I'm leaving. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly exactly yeah. love it um and finally what is this song that captures the way you're feeling right now right now or just your favorite song uh, today no right now <laughs> i don't know the, the song that popped into my head is this song this old 70s kind of folk rock song called operator by jim croce and uh i think that song is often on my psyche do you know that song? I don't personally, but we will Google it after this. It's very mellow. Can it's you like, sing it for us? Yeah, it goes, Operator, won't you help me place this call? The number on the matchbook is old and faded. You don't know that song? She's living in LA with my best old best friend, Ray. It's a great song. You should have a dopey band. I used to have a lot of dopey bands. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, so that's your lightning round. That's a lightning that's round. It. Thank you so much you guys, for joining us. You need this is what I recommend for your lightning. Oh yeah, you have to ask questions where they have to say one thing or another so it can go quickly. Because I I ruined your lightning round by making it go slowly. No, I mean we like slow lightning. Apparently, we like when people sing to us. Okay, <laughs> that's the best. Fuck yeah! All right, good deal. Good deal. Well, thank like you guys. Either or, horses or dogs. Horses or dogs. I'd say neither. <laughs> I'll say I'll say uh, I'll say horses. Horses. Ah. Okay. <laughs> I'd go horse. Mars or Pluto. Team horses. Uh, Mars or Pluto? I'll say Pluto. Why? Dwarf planet. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Dwarfs. I like dwarfs. You obviously don't have a thyroid condition, and I think I might. Coldness, because then you choose Mars. Well, I don't think about Pluto as cold. I think about it as blue and small. I think about it as a Disney dog. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's what I think about, too. I don't know. I wasn't thinking. I just went with the first thought. Ask nice. me a couple more, and then we'll be done. Okay. Um, Louisa, quick. Um, uh, bacon or eggs? Bacon or eggs? I'll take bacon. What'd you say? Rose okay. We're good. Conniption. It's good. Bacon. It's going to, like, keep small forever. <laughs> small chairs or large what? sofas. That's a terrible question. I'm going to pass on that one. Why? God. It's a terrible question. This is why I say you have to plan them beforehand, Rose. You can't just go I, up I your head. I prefer large chairs. <laughs> See? It's not enough. I think it's not enough out of person. Large chairs, definitely. Well, it's so great to have you. Thank you for being such a hilarious and wonderful guest. Thank you for having Hopefully me. You get some more dopey Patreons. Thanks to Sober Sex. Sober Sex yeah. listeners, if you, Sober Sexperts, if you go to Dopey and you subscribe to their Patreon, you can write in the note, 
thank you so for sex for introducing us to dope podcast you guys should join the dopey nation thing there's a lot of a lot of fellowship stuff oh yeah follow you guys on twitter yeah our twitter's pretty sad it is kind of sad (laughs) once every three weeks